0: Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to a very special bonus episode of the Ready, Set, Poem podcast, your premier podcast to do with the Vancouver Titans and the Toronto Defined Except for the Fact we're not talking about the Vancouver Titans this week. And this this leads into sort of what we alluded to as a group last week, last episode. I am joined virtually as always by Jordan etzer Dr. JM, and Omni at Omni Strife, who you might refer to me or hear me refer to as Alex for the purposes of the show. I mean, we've we've shared your name
1: before, but I mean I, I have, have to names. change it again now.
0: No, no. But <laughs> uh we are going to be joined in just a short moment by Adam Adam. You might know him on Twitter as at Grazen. Uh, in fact, if you're a member of Defiant Cord, you know who Adam is. But for those that don't, or maybe are new listeners, Adam joined our show as a guest back in 2020. And uh, provided us some context about the Overwatch League, about the Toronto Defiant, that uh, quite frankly, you don't get a whole lot of in our scene. And when he uh, you know, extended the opportunity to join us again, obviously we jumped that out. He is the co-founder, the chief strategy officer, the head of esports for Overactive Media, the parent company of the Toronto Defiant, as well as the Toronto Ultra, uh, the Mad Lions. And then I think there is a Flashpoint franchise, which I don't exactly remember the name of. But the point is, he is joining us in a short moment. He tells all. Um, Like, if there's one thing I recall from our conversation two years ago, Adam's transparency and the answers that he provides is like, crazy yeah like, you know i sort of expect him to dance around or at least i did back then and it's like no here, here's the answer i'll tell you yeah, like
1: yeah i I'll mean al- I can also the, the leaks are pretty spicy we knew about reaper's code of violence challenge three years ago we just couldn't you know spill the beans <laughs>
0: because because adam four- the world wasn't ready the
1: world wasn't ready for it for reaper yeah
0: um, he, you know maybe he'll dish on the future of overwatch three and four which, you know, might already be in development for all we know, but, uh, no, I'm pretty excited. I'm pretty excited that he's going to join us. Well, we'll learn more about the Toronto Defiant I want to give an opportunity for him to talk about how we got to where we are. I mean, the Van- the Vancouver Titans, of Toronto Fiant. they kick things off in season two. We're going up into what, season five now? That's mm-hmm. great. Right? So. There's been a lot of change in Toronto, so I am plan on asking him about that. And uh, we'll get to know more about the, the roster that's been put into place and, and find out more about Overwatch. Will we be playing Overwatch 2 this year? I'm going to ask him that. Hold me to it. Come out and face me! I am pleased to be joined, not only by Omni and Jordan, who, I mean, y'all have gotten used to the three of us <laughs> together, but we are joined by Adam Adam. You might know him as hat Grayson on Twitter. He is the co-founder, chief strategy officer, head of eSports, probably the guy that also loads the dishwasher in the office for overactive media. Uh, welcome back, Adam. It's been, uh, we, we had you join us. It would have been just before the first sort of pandemic battle of Canada, which, or just after, and that was a phenomenal battle of Canada. Every one of them needs to be like that. But welcome back uh, to the show.
2: Hey, it's my honor and my pleasure, and thank you very much for bringing me back. And time really flies during a pandemic, doesn't
0: it? <laughs> it's it certainly does, certainly does. Um, you know, speaking of of time flying, we were we were talking about this just before we had hit record, um, and I wanted to sort of just get your thoughts. I mean, this this has been a pretty lengthy off season. Uh, I understand, you know, the league is, you know, still. In its infancy, it's maturing, it's trying things out. Pandemic doesn't make things easy. You've got a new game, which uh, I presume you're going to tell us the exact date it's launching on our show. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, what have you been up to um, just during this offseason uh, being, you know, head guy in charge?
2: Well, I mean, lots of stuff. If, if you're talking specifically about uh, Defiant, um, really – it, 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 it's been a very challenging process of trying to build a team and put together a squad um, when there has been such a big break in between uh, seasons. And, and also there's a game coming out that uh, we haven't had a chance to check out yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, you know, we, we began our planning before the end of, uh, of the season and then we spent quite a bit of time postseason. you know, that was kind of really step one figuring out what went wrong with uh, with the roster, the team, the coaching, the strategy, I think our our performance was at the lower end of our expectations. and as you guys uh, as you guys see we we made quite a few changes to the to the team. Um, and then really just trying to figure out um, you know the logistics of how we launch this next season, uh, not knowing when or the where or 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 the what really. Uh, being the main issues, uh, the first chunk I, I would say we spent quite a bit of time uh, seeing what players were available. It was a highly, highly competitive off season near that beginning period when everybody was positioning to get uh, to get players. Um, and then after we had most of the roster set up, uh, we've been filling out the um, you know the coaching staff. Uh, as you know, we've we've made a few changes there, bringing in uh, Moby Dick. And uh, and uh, today, actually, I'm, I'm happy to announce that Stella Park will be joining us as team manager. I don't know if we've made that announcement publicly yet. Uh, Stella is uh, Canadian educated, fluently bilingual, uh, English, Korean. Maybe she speaks other languages that I'm not aware of, but she speaks those two languages very, very well. Uh, she's in Korea right now uh, with the team. We'll be bringing her over uh, with uh, the rest of the team. She comes from G and and T1, both uh, Overwatch and League of Legends. So she's got quite a bit of experience on on the team and the management side and, and the Overwatch side. And uh, so that really kind of completes the team. We may add another non you know kind of coaching position over the next little while. But really, you know, a big part of it is fine tuning uh, the roster, the players, and and really working with Blizzard, Call of Duty League you know uh, team four uh, to try to figure out you know the best way to launch the game and the league and the season. so so lots of stuff. I won't say it's been an everyday thing, but as you can imagine, there's lots of things going on.
0: And I mean just to clarify for anyone who might be just owl focused like I, I am. Um, I mean, you're also head of esports for CDL, for the league franchise, um, Flashpoint, I think you have a franchise yeah. there too. So, I mean, there's there's obviously a, a lot going on and I wasn't trying to suggest you haven't been up to anything. It's just been a long off season, so probably yeah. a little easier to manage than past. Um, before we dive into sort of, you know, where you're at today, I wanted to do, to do a quick look back at sort of the journey so far. I mean... If we were to go back in time, I don't think any one of us would have been able to predict, obviously, everything that's happened. Uh, not only within the league, but just, I mean, our day-to-day and how, you know, everything has evolved. And if we look back at sort of the, the Toronto Defiant first season, um, I mean, stage one, top of the top of the league, dominant sort of GOATS team. And then, you know, unfortunately, the the maybe a wheel pulled a flat tire or something, things sort of fell apart. You go into that second season, hey, we've got homestands. And I'll be honest, we were hyped. I know, like, Alex and I here, we had already scoped out our seats for the homestand here in Vancouver. Pandemic. Sudden shift. Um, And you had sort of spoken to that a little bit uh, when you had joined us a, a couple of years ago. But then, you know, since then, we've now had another sort of, you know, online season. And we're hopefully getting into the stage where we can get back together again. But when you look back, I mean, we've seen a lot of change. And is the hope now that you've sort of experienced these different things, the organization has grown, and that season of change that we just had might be the last one?
2: Gosh, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, look, first of all, you know, let me say that in everything but Overwatch, uh, overactive media has won. Uh <laughs> right in in League of Legends we've won two back-to-back championships and in Counter-Strike we won the first Flashpoint championship In Call of Duty League we won two majors uh, one in each of the years we made it to the grand finals Um, this this team uh, you know has struggled relative to the other ones and and I can tell you that it weighs upon me Um, you know we are a a high achieving organization and we've got high achieving uh, uh, teams and, and our expectations are to achieve highly. And we, you know, wouldn't be surprised to say that we haven't reached our, our goals uh, for this game. Uh, we, you know, our, our goal is to win, is to win a championship uh, for, for the city of Toronto and for Canada in Overwatch. And um, frankly, we've struggled to figure out, you know, the, the best way to build uh, a team in a game that is global uh like Overwatch is uh that frankly has has uh, challenges and complexities that our other games do not have uh in particular you know the the eastern western uh dynamic here really the prevalence of the korean uh players as as really the, the the strongest players in the world in the game um our our ability really to develop local talent is also much harder i would say across north america um, that, that requires really quite a long-term plan. And so, you know, as we, as we started our journey in Overwatch, we, um, we relied and still do rely heavily on the, the, the people and the coaches that are closest to the game. Uh, back then, it would have been Jason Wan, uh, who was our, our manager at that time, uh, who helped us basically build that initial roster. I think that was an interesting roster. I think we had uh, good potential over there. And I think where we struggled throughout, I would say, is on, on the coaching side and, and the team manager side. Not to begrudge anybody's abilities, it's just we haven't been able to really get that mix right. And one of, the, um, one of my messages to all of our teams, uh, and as you mentioned, I work with all of them, is that in eSports, you know, 50% of the game is mental and it's team chemistry, okay? You see it over and over and over again where people build super teams and they fail. And the reason that they fail is that the team chemistry and the synergy, um, you know, the the communication, you know, beginning from the coach down to the players, uh, player development, all of those things that, you know, aren't visible in the game need to be right. And if they're wrong, it doesn't matter who you have on your team, you will not succeed. And frankly, that's what's been happening uh, with this team. And I think, you know, in the first year, you know, we came in at the last, you know, kind of wave, we had to pick whatever players were available. Um, We had a boot camp in Korea. I think we did a pretty good job of of selecting some of those players. Some of those players ended up becoming even better once they left us. And that's another area that we've struggled, which is a failure on our part to develop our players. We track if players are better when they leave the organization. And if they are, that's a failure on our part. We weren't getting the most out of them. And it goes back again to the chemistry and to the synergy that we are basically creating here. Um, We had issues, I would say, internally uh, that that first season – the team played out of Los Angeles. We were busy establishing the company and hiring the employees and working with the people here in in Toronto and eventually over in Europe as well. And I would say we didn't keep as close of an eye on the on, on what was happening in Los Angeles. And frankly, things were happening there that we were not happy with, regardless of how well the team was performing. Mm-hmm. And um, and that had to change. And so and so we made those changes uh when uh when they needed to be made rather than when uh was the best timing for them so um you know that was the first season second season um you know we we wanted to build a team that was built for live games and and that was going to be the big launch of live events we built a team again focusing on that chemistry and the synergy that i talked about we picked personalities and people that would be compatible around a live event uh, experience, you know, sure for agilities, even Kareem, grief, sorry. And and those, you you know, you take a look at that mix of people and it's a more outgoing um, aggressive uh, play style. I think we started strong as long as we were playing uh, live events. And then, uh, and and then frankly, when, when COVID hit and everybody was locked up, um, it didn't work for the personalities that we had. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I won't, you know nobody needs to cry for us everybody had the same issues I, I think our issues were probably no worse or better than anybody else's but i mean a team that was built for that kind of environment just didn't work for the environment that we had we also had people leaving or retiring including our manager or our coaches you know it was really in 2020 the job was keep things together um as a league and as a team and try to make it to the end of uh, of the season um which you know then brought us into the, the next season where we had uh, again a wholesale change back to Korea, you know looking at a uh, a model which was probably going to not be uh, live in person again. Our we brought in KDG, uh, we did uh, you know kind of our scouting. KDG came in late in the year in that uh, in that kind of season. As you know, we we had lost our coach, uh, we had lost our our uh, general manager earlier on. Uh, we had less experienced people in those positions. Uh, the scouting, frankly, wasn't where it needed to be. And we started looking um, at uh, building the roster with, uh, with, with the people that were there. We were interviewing people as well for the head coach. People internally were applying for the head coach position. And, and when we made the decisions in terms of who to go with, you know, there was people that weren't happy with those decisions that wanted to have a shot at things that they didn't get a shot at. And frankly, we were then behind the ball again, in terms of building the team, we were reacting instead of uh, being ahead of, ahead of it. Um, I, I think we had uh, a team that should have done better uh, last year. And have communicated that to our coaching staff. And in particular to Katie G uh, who's ultimately responsible for the team performance as the head coach. Um, and um you know, going into, uh, that was our, our, that was the fourth season of, of watch our third, but going into this fifth season, um, it, you know, it was, it was again, difficult. Like every year the transitions have not been easy because of, of, of how fluid um, you know, the league has been. Right. And And we knew there was a new game coming out. We also at that time were not aware when the season was going to start. I mean, frankly, it was only announced a little while ago. And so, From just a team position, we just had to look at the team and basically say, is there anybody here that we really cannot afford to lose? Right. Because if if we can afford to lose them, if they're not critical to the the future of the team, then it's better to let them go and then to begin fresh, um, you know, Part of which is we have to pay them all, you know, the whole time that is there. And so, you, you know, you've got six months of basically paying people, which as a business is very difficult. Some of these guys are pretty highly paid to basically keep them on a payroll when you don't know the game. You haven't succeeded and you don't know what the future is going to hold. So so that was some of the main driving force behind why we decided to basically do the things we did at the end of this season. And frankly, why we also decided to keep Hisu um, among the people that were there we we do think dps's are going to be important and and we already had a pretty dang good one so we decided to hold on again. um and so and so you know we started to rebuild again uh uh with with the current roster i think um you know i i won't make promises going forward but we did you know look forward and decide you know, we want to go with a younger roster, right? We want to go with what works for all of our other teams. And if you look at our other teams, they have all succeeded by, by basically doing very good scouting, bringing in younger players, developing them over time with a regiment that includes, you know, scouting, strong player development, game theory, and, and strategy. And that's what we've done to win on every other team. And now with maybe, you know, kind of one transition here for Overwatch 2, where we're going to play on various different builds of it, and then going back into a full Overwatch 2 um, in 2023, um, you know, it's time to basically plan for the future and to kind of be thinking out two or three years, rather than the one year at a time, which is what we've done in every single one of the previous seasons. And so that gets us to here. And, you know, I'm obviously hopeful. I think we've got a pretty good team here going into 2022.
0: You know, just thinking about this, you know, off season specifically, as a listener of our show, you were probably, you know, well informed that we were surprised to see not only the activity we saw so early in the offseason, but you in Toronto being one of the drivers, I believe Toronto, if, was, if you weren't the first to start making player announcements, you were like number two or number three.
1: I'd say and that then, there were like a little bit of announcements before that, but twilight was definitely the big, the first big well, I mean, announcement.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean to us, definitely. I mean, you, okay. I gotta, I gotta be honest with you. You do not understand how hard it was for me to sit on that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I, I am still surprised that you're building a roster for a game, an engine that you still have yet. As far as I know, had an opportunity to to get your uh, your hands on. So, I mean, how much of that is a challenge? Like, would it not be the safe bet to, to wait? No,
2: no. Waiting means you lose uh, a lot of the players that are the kind of most valuable. There was a lot of players available. And um, you have to be in that mix. And what, uh, look, some of the baggage we carried is that, hey, you've never done really well. And if you're a top, you know, highly kind of, Ranked player, you know what we have to offer is is money, right? We, we don't have, you know, hey, we're winners. Hey, we've got this track record of of success. We can talk about our other teams, but you know, how much is that gonna is gonna get you? And and you know, the best players want to play for the best teams, and uh, we we just dropped our entire team, right? So. Um, you know, it's not going to bring a lot of confidence to some of these players who, who asked some very pointed questions of, of me and the team. And, and in many cases, they heard our pitch and said no. Um, and so, you know, Twilight was strategic in that sense. We wanted to go out and get Twilight and beat everybody else to that punch. Uh, Twilight had, um, you know, notwithstanding you know, some of the other issues, I think he had a good experience in Canada um you know previously and i think he was he was very much open to playing uh with us and we that we valued that and we also thought hey if we go out and sign twilight and make that announcement soon it'll send a message to everybody else that we are competing to win uh you know we're not going to go for a budget uh team this year and and frankly that opened up some conversations it was incredibly incredibly competitive uh incredibly Mm -hmm. competitive we um you know, we, we went out after a number of players uh, that we missed out on and, uh, and then we, you know, went after a number of players at the same time that we did get. And every team uh, that you can imagine that is kind of near the top of the standings was in there competing for, for most of those names. Um, you know, the biggest signing was, frankly, you know, Twilight and I would say also Chorong. Um, you know, we, we do have a, a bit of a strategy there around that. We've got Hisu, obviously, you know, kind of as, as DPS side. I think Hisu is, is better than he showed last year. Um, but uh, if you were not out early, you know, you can think of all of the top players, whether they're DPSs or tanks or, or supports, they'd be gone. And then, and then frankly, you know, which isn't to say that if you wait, you might not be able to build a very competitive team. It's just there would be a greater degree of luck maybe that goes into it. I mean, you can pick up some some players that are not signed and still have a very, very strong team, uh, but that wasn't our plan for 22.
1: And you said about that uh, early approach instead of waiting. I have another one that is constantly debated in, in our spaces is signing a player for talent versus position. Now I think you have seven players and if you had to choose, you know, another player to sign, will you always go for, you know, the most talented player or for need or does it, does it change early or in in the late game?
2: Well, I mean, you have to kind of go against the players that you've already got obviously and and whether it would be an improvement, but remember, you know, chemistry is half of of performance, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, bringing in somebody, that is mechanically skilled it really has to kind of you have to really kind of account for what the what the personality mix of of the players are and not sure if you guys are aware but we we do psychological testing before we bring a player on Mm. harder for this team because we can't talk korean you know (laughs) people do that um but we do we do try to basically uh, figure that out, and that's one of our competitive advantages, I believe, in our other teams, our English-speaking teams in particular, uh, that are a little closer to us, where we take a look at the personality profile of each of the players, um, you know, across a spectrum that we measure. Uh, professional sports teams do that as well all the time, and what you want to do is you 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 want to bring in a replacement that has the profile personality wise that your team needs, right. As opposed to, uh, as opposed to just the mechanical skills, because sure, like I said, I can tell you like on two hands, you know, how many times you've got, you know, great mechanically gifted players that fail together. And the difference is that personality profile. So, so we Mm -hmm. would look at both, right. But, but the personality mix is when you have a team, that personality mix is, is critical.
0: Jordan, you actually, I think, had a question um, that ties into that about chemistry and, and yeah. the team. Do you want to ask it?
3: Yeah, sure. So I was going off of what you were saying there about the team chemistry and the mental side of the game. I was curious, um, and obviously you just touched on it a little bit, but I was curious what strides you guys do actually take with the team and the players to sort of assist them in maintaining a strong mental game and uh, you know making sure that that side um, – that they're able to overcome challenges with that.
2: Sure. Well, we've got um, we've got uh, uh, a dedicated performance manager for the team, uh, Borco Popic, who who comes from professional sports at a, at a high level. Um, he, uh, you know, he's well versed and experienced in all of the things that basically come uh, into the the mental and the performance and the physical fitness uh, side. Uh, of things, uh, we also have um, uh, somebody on staff that is just focused on on the mental side. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's uh, she's based in Europe, but also kind of uh, dials in over here in terms of working with with the players on on you know both one to one and uh, and and as a team. Mm-hmm. Uh, we 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 have brought in for Call of Duty, for example. What we've been doing this year is we've we've brought in a um, uh, basically, a, a physical trainer uh, who uh, is is also kind of high level. He trains people that basically climb like Mount Everest and stuff like that, right? right. So he's he's been there and seen those types of things, and and he comes in and we'll talk to the players about you know about how to project, how to basically get their their, their mental component very high. I will say, with a Korean squad, mm-hmm. um, there's cultural issues as well in terms of. Uh, you know, that we have to be respectful for, uh, but at the same time, uh, you know we need to work together on. I mean, mm-hmm. there is a, there is a, a propensity, frankly, for uh, for people in Korea and the players to to put in a lot more hours, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, that's probably one of the reasons why they're as good as they are uh, in 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 the ecosystem, in all eSports, frankly, right? But what we have learned is that that is not healthy. That is not healthy either mentally, right, physically, or actually for team performance, right? Mm. We get the burnout that happens. And I think one of, the, one of the things that, you know, we want to implement this year is to frankly put a limit on how many hours uh, they can scrim, stream, you know, solo queue and, and do that kind of thing. I, I think it's very hard to police, but I think what – is important for us to get across is that you need some time off. I mean, we, we were having situations where, you know, there was team meetings at midnight. No, that cannot happen. Okay. That can't happen. I know you all want to do it, but it's not <laughs> going to happen. Okay. You need, you need that time off and you need to have a break where you are not doing overwatch. Okay. And I don't know, you know, we'll have to figure out how many hours that is, but, but being able to get away where you're not doing stuff related to the game, when you are a professional athlete is very difficult because you're worried about everybody else getting ahead. Right. But, but it's critical. I mean, you have to do it and, and we want our players to be healthy. We want them to compete at the highest level. And what we need to do is convince them that doing this, taking breaks, being physically fit, having the proper diet and nutrition, which we also have a nutrition program in place. um, All of those things are critical to succeeding. And I think we've had buy-in in our other teams. Uh, <laughs> I hope we have buy-in over here. It's a new squad, so we can basically establish this early on.
0: You know, I, this is sort of something that's a little more familiar to us on in the Vancouver Titans perspective, and I'm not looking for you to comment on another organization. Um, but if we sort of rewind a couple mm-hmm. of years, I mean, we, I had sat down with Alfred, who was with the Titans at the time, and to the Titans were looking at performance management as being the differentiator, like their partnership, I think it was with the Domus Esports at the time, for a variety of reasons, it may or may not have worked, PENDEC being obviously one of them. But the way it was described to us was that the Titans were doing something that no one else was doing. Were they truly the precursor and sort of opened the eyes to other organizations, maybe yourselves to this? Or is this something that has always been there, but now is becoming more and more important?
2: Uh, well, I don't know about other organizations. I, I, I do know that we were doing this before <laughs> that, uh, in terms of the teams that we had. Um, it, you know, again, from our perspective, and I, I'm not going to say we're the only ones. I think we are very good at doing it. Um, you know, our, our, um, our entire focus top to bottom is, is not on winning, right? Winning is a consequence of the things that we do, right? But it's not the objective because, we don't play the game, right? The the people who play the game are the players. And unless you're playing, you've got to basically do the other things that come in there, right? And so when we measure our coaches and our performance staff, we don't measure them on winning or losing. I mean, okay, look, it's sports, right? Losing probably isn't good for your career, okay? But that probably means you're doing other things uh, incorrectly. So when we break down the components of performance we, we, we basically break it down into three parts. And, and the first one is, is scouting. Okay. Critical, critical to the long term success of a team is your ability to basically find not only the next best player, right? But, you know, the, the roster composition, the psychology that I talked about and the, uh, the scouting of the opposing teams. Okay. So we measure scouting, then we measure player development. OK, and that is, are the players improving over the course of the year, both individually and as a team? You want to be better at the end of the year than you were at the beginning of the year because you have all of the benefits of the year that you've been together to improve. Right. Mm-hmm. And and we measure that and we, we want to take a look and see it, Are the players better? And then we also measure that by seeing when the players leave. Are they better somewhere else? Right. If they're better somewhere else, that means that we're doing something wrong. Uh, if, if we're not getting the most out of them. And then the third component is, is the strategy that I, that I talked about in terms of the game strategy. A lot of the things in terms of the performance that you're talking about goes into the second part, right? So creating that environment to make the players be as good as they can be. And that is nutrition, that is mental, that is physical, that is time away from the game. Um, all of those things are measured and implemented across all of our teams. And I think it's one of the reasons why we win consistently. And if you take a look at all of our teams that have won, none of them have been built with the most expensive, most popular players. It, it is that model, right? League of Legends, we won back-to-back championships with rookies, okay? The the Flashpoint championship that was a young team that we scouted that was not on anybody's radar, and we developed them over time. If you take a look at our Call of Duty team, you know, these were mostly European players that nobody in North America wanted to put together, but we scouted them. We understood the position. And once we got got the psychology together, we made some changes there last year, and then the mix of the players and their communication improved massively. Once we got that chemistry right, we saw them perform. And those are the things that we focus on. I can't really speak to the other guys, but what you will see us doing is that, and when we do not succeed, we can go back and not say, hey, this player didn't do that or this player didn't do that. We can go back and say, where did our scouting fail? Where did our player development fail? And what was our failure in the strategy? And those are the things that we can be held accountable for.
0: You know, looking at, at this upcoming season, we, we obviously just got news as to when it will start, things kick off. Um, and, I mean, as a listener, you've heard me sort of gripe about this, uh, the old man yells at cloud moment where we have the league uh, get underway and have these, what would be early afternoon or even mid afternoon for someone, you know, such as yourself on Eastern time zone matches during the midweek. Um, Thought I would take the opportunity to ask you, I mean, is that just a necessity of how scheduling needs to be? Or is there actual data that says we're actually going to get the audience we expect here that we would have otherwise not received? Because like, I think back to season two. I'm not going to suggest, you know, you having to stay up until the wee hours of the early morning to watch a match based in L.A. was beneficial. Mm. And I understand it's an international audience, but I mean, I'd have to think if you think of a regional market that you want to embrace, it's kind of complex. Yeah. To have something then.
2: Yeah. And believe it or not, I mean, actually, we probably will believe it. There is lots of data. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. And uh, the Overwatch League has access to all sorts of data. And, you know, they, they don't just pick this kind of up randomly. They, they they do try to figure out, you know, what is not only the biggest impact for the global viewership, but also they take into account things like VOD viewership uh, after the game. And if there's regions where they think there's going to be more pickup on VODs, maybe they make it, uh, they, they kind of schedule it on on that basis. Because that's the key is, is the global viewership. Then you've also got, you know, Korea is 14 hours ahead of us here in the mm-hmm. East, right? And then you've got uh, Europe is, depending on where you are, you know, five or six hours uh, ahead. So, you know, no matter what time you find, somebody is going to be unhappy. There's no question. And, you know, we do, we do have teams in Europe and, um, you know, they have struggled with the time zones probably more than anybody else. And, you know, while it may be inconvenient a little inconvenient here in uh, in in the East Coast or the west Coast of North America. It's super inconvenient if you're six hours ahead. Um, yeah. so you know there's no great there's no best time the only the only mm-hmm. thing you could do is is maybe have different divisions, a European one, a North American one, and an Asian one eventually uh, so that you can basically focus those on on the best time zones. Uh, but that's not where we are right now and and I, I think. The scheduling is done on the basis of maximizing viewership and doing the least harm.
0: Yeah. Well, and I you know, sort of segue from that. The difference that the Overwatch League is sort of presented compared to other esports leagues, and CDL, to some respect, is this regional connection. You have the Toronto Defiant, the Vancouver Titans, um, and then you have the Los Angeles Valiant who are, i presuming, taking one from the league by, by repositioning elsewhere. But the point is is that it starts to almost go against the grain of gaming where it's it's guild based, clan base. You could be international. Um is that a constant tug of war or is it sort of the the regionalization of the teams is simply just a strategic effort to go to the broader global audience and you know the Toronto Defiant become the next Liverpool, for instance. Yeah. So, I was gonna say Man United, but I'm not sure of the feelings so.
2: <laughs> Um, yeah, well, look, the, I think the decision to go with city-based teams has been a successful one. I think there's lots of debate, uh, you know, Call of Duty does the same thing. Other, other esports don't do that, right? Um, I can see firsthand that there is a connection to the cities, uh, by fans, right? It, it, it just creates something that they can better relate to, you know, our, our, our teams also have large fan bases outside of Toronto and, and we track that and, and, you know, both uh, Activision Blizzard leagues have data that they can share with us in terms of followers and viewership and all of that kind of thing. So, so we do see that there is, you know, kind of a local connection and then, and then that is growing, you know, kind of globally depending on the team. Um, and so I wouldn't change uh, the model that we have. The, the other thing is just from a business perspective, you know, jordan you've got bell there on on your on your jersey you know we've been we've been very successful uh with sponsors uh the the canadian market um for toronto defiant has been incredibly strong uh we we've had tremendous amount of support um for for all of our teams i will say that there are you know if you if you combine overwatch and uh, Call of Duty, there is no team more successful in terms of the sponsorship side of the business than than Overactive Media. Um, we uh, we're consistently near the top of both leagues, and and you know it's even harder in Overwatch because a the performance hasn't been as strong, and b mm-hmm. Asia's are you know it's pretty big markets out there uh, for esports. So uh, so it has succeeded. Okay, the regional market has has worked. I think the branding has succeeded. I think we should stick with what is is working. And I think as we come out of the pandemic, we need to continue to look to focus on building out the, the regional connection to the teams and then regional matches, right? But it's it's not going to happen in 22. It's probably not going to happen in 23. I think that should be an aspiration that we should have. And it really comes with the growth of the game And hopefully a successful launch of this, of this next version.
0: Right. Yeah. Um. So another thing that sort of relates to the region, and this actually is almost a fallout question to one that we had posed to both uh, Justin, the Vancouver Titans, and KDG of the Defiant last season. We asked them, "Who is your your biggest rival?" And we asked each one of them that question without any sort of lead up. And I actually found it interesting. Uh, KDG had actually said the Philadelphia Fusion was the the number one rival, and uh, Justin had said the Boston Uprising were the Titans' number one rival. I understood the the Philly Fusion for for KDG, um, the Boston Uprising to the Titans won much less. But I found it interesting that when I then followed, up, like, well, how about the team to the east or the west? KDG had Ark, yeah, no, we don't we don't want to lose to the Titans. But Justin sort of, well, they're, they're a team. So how much does this, you know, for us, Vancouver versus Toronto, East versus West, like the Battle of Canada resonate that maybe gets lost on this on these teams where you have the international players who, quite honestly, I mean, Vancouver versus Toronto probably has never even been on the radar.
2: Yeah. Uh, okay, speaking for us, the players and the coaches are aware that when we play Vancouver, our objective is to beat them. Because I made that clear, okay? <laughs> Into the uh, ground. And maybe it should be to beat every team that we play, but the one that I mentioned specifically is when we play that. <laughs> team, okay, we're going to beat yeah. Vancouver, right? Okay, and and we make it clear to our players and coaches that that is a rivalry that we want to maintain and create. There's only two teams in Canada, you know. When they're playing, it should be a special thing, okay? And we, we want to beat them. You know, we, mm-hmm. we, we, think that we're a better team. We think we've, we've got a better system. Uh, and we think that, uh, you know, I mean, we, we, we think that we can help to grow the viewership in this country, which is what we need to do to be successful. I was talking about our sponsors, right? Mm-hmm. The sponsors are paying forward. Okay. Um, the viewership is where it is, but, you know, our objective, both uh, Toronto and Vancouver, needs to be to grow viewership in Canada. Bell doesn't care about being big in Texas or, mm-hmm. or you know, Chengdu, right? They care about the viewership here in Canada. And, you know, whether it's breadsticks Sticks or whether it's Bell 5, you know, uh, helping to promote <laughs> each other, right, in terms of, uh, and the audience, and one of the reasons why we reach out to guys like you guys, right, to kind of promote it is... Delivering Canadian audience is a deliverable. It is something that we are, you know, kind of, we need to develop. And if it isn't, if it isn't a top notch objective, then I would say it needs to be because we, we need to get this audience in Canada, the viewership for Canada. We need to increase it, you know, not by 10 or 20%. We need to increase it by 200, 300 and 400% over the next little while. And, uh, Look, we could sure use Vancouver's help if they if they want to do that. Certainly, we're doing what we can over here
0: too. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I'm going to actually talk about something we, we discussed on our, our last show because again, news came out and we don't know much more than opening weekend. But we started looking at the calendar as you know content creators do, and we noticed that the Canada Day long weekend uh, happens to be a weekend this year. Um, what are the odds that Vancouver and Toronto have a Battle of Canada on the Canada Day-long weekend? Or is that maybe something you don't know, can't say, or we'll get there when we get there?
2: We'll, we'll get there when we get there. I, You know what? <laughs> I, I actually I don't know for sure what uh, okay. we're happening. I do know. I'm trying to think. There's the kind of the mid-season tournament. I'm not sure what the timing is there. I think it's sometime in July, and I, I don't know – uh, how Canada Day works in conjunction with you know the lead up to that and and the end of the qualifying tournaments and so forth so it's mm-hmm. it 's not you know i haven 't looked that far in the in the in the calendar, so don 't take that as meaning that there 's no plans i we 've got our content, our partnerships, our sponsorships people probably listening to this and saying what the F if there's some big plans around that? (laughs) Why doesn't he know? But I mean, you know, you got to focus on what you're focused on right now. That's not my focus. Yeah.
0: Um, How, like, how much... I mean, I know you just said that you, there's a lot that you know, but we know of opening weekend, and we were trying to figure out like how long the season will be. I presume at a high level, you've got a, an idea from the league that yeah. season starts here. It sort of will end there. Yeah.
2: yeah. No, we've we've been given um, we've been given kind of a timeline, uh, so we do yeah. know when things happen uh, over the course of the year. The reason I think it's not public is because it hasn't been locked in yet. So we're mm-hmm. still getting feedback in terms of what works. You know, I was talking a little bit about the mid season component and, and Canada Day and. I think those things are probably just not finalized. I will say that, you know, we uh, no matter what happens with, with, you know, Canada Day or not, uh, I mean, we would certainly be very open to doing, you know, some kind of, a, you know, all Canada match somewhere um, mm-hmm. where both teams can be together in front of an audience if, you know, assuming oh, we cool. don't have something in Toronto or Vancouver.
3: Edmonton's uh, a great venue.
2: I, I think we'd be very open to, to having them come over here or us going over there. Again, look, if we basically do like a, like a, a, a battle of Canada in front of a live audience and, and you kind of make it into like a bigger event um, and the audience for Canada tunes in and that becomes something that is trending. Like it, 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 like we all win, right? I mean, that's what we yeah. want to do is we need to grow the viewership in Canada. It's not like when we look at the viewership, I don't look at the viewership globally. My partners and sponsors do not pay me for what, you know, they're doing in China. They're paying us for what we're delivering in Canada. And we are open to spending resources, looking for ideas. And, you know, creating content that basically can grow uh, the viewership base in, in Canada. And, and certainly if Vancouver is into it, you know, we'd be happy to do, uh, you know, kind of a, a battle of Canada and some city or here or there to be determined uh, in front of a live audience.
1: At least on paper, the game should be more interesting than the last couple of years.
2: Uh, well, I think, you know what, I think Vancouver <laughs> could uh, surprise this year and I think uh, hopefully Toronto can as well. I think it would be, sure. you know, I, I I will say that first year, uh, you know, kind of going back, like what did the rest of the world think of that Vancouver Titans team? I mean, that's kind of a question that doesn't get answered because nobody else did what they did, right? And yeah. Everybody knew the runaway was available. And nobody thought they would be as good as they were, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we certainly yeah. had a chance to buy them because they were basically, so, you know, kind of marketed for everybody else. And the view was at the time that there's no way that a, you know, that a contender's team is going to be at that level, you know, in the pro leagues, right? And uh, and they went out and they basically, they basically did that. They paid up and they obviously proved everybody wrong. And if you're talking about Adamas or whatever that kind of stuff, the thing that Vancouver did to change the league was basically signing signing that roster and then showing that that talent in that next lower tier, the top Mm -hmm. teams there, Mm -hmm. can compete with the top teams over here. And if you look at how the scouting and the development and the player stuff and the thinking has changed since then and the signings that have been made, Mm -hmm. that's all been driven by that particular move. But even though... You know, we didn't succeed as well as uh, Vancouver did. You know, that viewership in Canada with that run and the enthusiasm in yeah. the grand finals, that did as much to help us, mm-hmm. you know, as if we were there ourselves, yeah. right? You know, beyond yeah. the obvious that I'd like to be there, the growth in the market for Canada, you know, was, was tremendous. And so we, we all benefit from having competitive right. teams here and there.
1: Yeah, looking back at that team, it actually, you know, highlights your comment about pre-existing chemistry and how players fit with each other and unfortunately we saw how many of these players that were on Vancouver uh, especially of course with Twilight being an exception didn't really succeed as much uh, outside of that particular
2: uh, squad yeah and that team synergy and team chemistry that's another thing that came out of that i mean that 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 uh that run I think was historic more so than anything else that you can basically talk about the franchise in terms of their performance stuff. I mean, and, and maybe they weren't really sure it was going to turn out as well as it did themselves. Mm-hmm. But you know, what happened there was basically taking that squad and mixing that chemistry with the mechanical ability, keeping them together and bringing them in here, you know, half of it is mental chemistry, half of it is ability. And that basically that, that was like validation, not only for Overwatch, but for eSports in general of, of the keys to to success. And, and like we've used that lesson in our other teams, and, and that's one of the reasons why we focus so much on chemistry. Like bringing in players that can play together uh, and that know each other is a tremendous advantage. And, and that's one of the reasons why frankly, our teams have not done as well. We haven't done that as well as we could have. And even this current year, you know, we're going to have to have a time. Where the chemistry is being built because these players haven't played together, and you know, I mean, that's that's it's something that is difficult to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and Vancouver just basically picked it up and said, "Boom, okay, here's here's our entry into esports." I mean, yeah. it was it was historic. It was incredible.
0: Yeah. I um, I mean, Tim Holloway had joined us on a show that uh, later in that season, and I mean, he had said as much. You know, did we expect the success we were seeing? We thought we'd be competitive. Like, I think it it exceeded expectations Mm -hmm. internally for them. And unfortunately, it didn't all work out in the long term. Um, But uh, I have to think that uh, the next big thing the Vancouver's done to the market is breadsticks, right? Like, I mean, is it now the search for the the next breadsticks moment where, (laughs) I mean, breadsticks was trending worldwide and I think – like how do you recreate that from a marketing I guess perspective? I you have to lose. I don't know. You know,
2: <laughs> right? I, don't know. I, you know I think, uh, you know, we had the same thing with, uh, with Bell 5 for our Call of Duty team, mm-hmm. right? And uh, those are validating moments to our sponsors. And I don't mean to get into, like, all of the, the, the business stuff of it, um, right. but the, you know, when – when Bell 5 is trending because, you know, everybody's talking about the reason that our team is doing so well is because of our incredible internet, which it is, by the way, um, you know, Bell Bell wants to be cool with, with the generation of people that play Overwatch, right? And yeah. what other thing does Bell do that can make them that cool as they did with that moment when they were trending across all of Canada and the world, you know, kind of the young people, people of the world were basically talking about you know our success being related to Bell five right there's mm-hmm. nothing else that matches that for for Bell you know there's there's the you know the mental health stuff that they do that's a broader audience that's a different audience I would say than than the eSports audience and 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 I would say you know the breadsticks thing the only thing I think they missed is Putting the brand name in front of the breadsticks kind of things uh, <laughs> so people would know what you're talking. Th- I mean, I even forgot what the sponsor is. But I think the uh, you know I think those things you can take them as case studies and then go back to your partners and basically say where else can you get this kind of a return, right? And I don't mm-hmm. think there is anywhere else you can get that kind of return.
3: So jumping off of all that, is there another organization or team in the league that you look at and you say they're doing it right? They're nailing exactly what uh, what they need to be.
2: Um, sure, I, I mean, I would say the, the first one that comes to mind because we're pretty close to them uh, would be uh, Envy and the Dallas organization sure. over there, both uh, Call of Duty and uh, yeah. and Overwatch. Uh, they've um, they get it. I would say uh, we 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 exchange notes quite a bit. Mm. If you take a look at the at the statistics for particularly the business side. Uh, you will see those two names up near the top in both of uh, the leagues that we're in together. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also understand you know, the importance of live events. You know, they—I'm not sure if you guys are aware—but they've partnered, you know, to operate the Arlington Esports Stadium over there, where they basically now have uh, that outreach. They um, they merged with Optic uh, on on the other side. They um, got very strong competitive components to it. I think I, I often accuse them of overspending and hurting <laughs> uh, the ecosystem, but they just basically tell me that I'm too cheap. Um, so, you know, I, I would say Dallas uh, is is, a, is an organization we have a great deal of respect for. Um, you know, I, I would say uh, New York as well is another one that we are, are very close to. Atlanta, I would say, uh, is another one okay. uh, that we think is, is doing a pretty good job in terms of you know combining the business with the performance and right. um you know i mean i, I think if you want to be in sports you should want to win and mm-hmm. i would say uh I, I would say that i wish that was more you know kind of pervasive throughout all of the teams the, the desire like you're not going to win every year but you mm-hmm. you, you, you you got to go through the motions of trying to win at the very least. And, and unfortunately, you know, the economy hasn't been equal to everybody and I understand that. And maybe it hasn't been fair to some teams because of time zones and the model has changed in the pandemic, but uh, it really hurts the, um, it it hurts the game. If you've got a third of the league that isn't really kind of competitive. Right.
1: Hmm.
0: You know, as we look to sort of wrap up our, our time together with you, I thought I could sort of throw some um, hot uh, stove topics your way to see if I can get some instant reaction. And the first one I'm going to actually go back to, we're to start talking about the Battle of Canada, the possibility of live events, and the fact that you just mentioned Dallas. Dallas and Houston have had some some success reintroducing live events, like the end of season Battle of Texas, like just hearing the live crowd and the energy that gets generated in the broadcast, something else. Uh, are we going to see some uh, live events in Toronto? I hope so. Cool, uh, Overwatch Two. Are we going to be able to play it this year? Yes. Wow. Um, well, those are my two hot stove topics. I didn't expect the <laughs> I, You
2: know, I think. I think. Look, I. I think. Um, I think. Um, you know, the plans for Overwatch Two. Let me take a step back. Every <laughs> publisher <producer> too late <laughs> is super secretive for no apparent reason. OK, and Activision yeah. Blizzard is no kind of exception, you know, whether it's Riot, whether it's like, we deal with a whole bunch of them. Microsoft with Halo. Like they have this kind of Ubisoft, whether it's esports or not. Right. They have this kind of view of everything needs to be top secret. Nobody can ever know. Everybody's signed an NDA and it all leaks anyway. OK, and and it's, it's kind of frustrating because um, because the team's. Are part of who they are worried about telling stuff because they worry about leaks, right? And and then the leaks happen anyway, and you know the embargoes and the rest of the stuff don't really do any good. I, if there's one thing I could change at the publishers, it's basically just chill out, okay? Like be a little bit more transparent, tell people more. You know, the big reveal at whatever E3 or whatever is not as you know, it's not as big as you think. And you could probably make it into something else anyway, right? Mm-hmm. Without trying yeah. to keep all the information a secret. So you're you're a feeling
1: like Fox Mulder a lot of the time. Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> but part, of, part of what we deal with is that, right? But I think, yeah. I think that, you know, um, I think that Overwatch League in conjunction with Overwatch 2 are going to be very closely associated over the course of the year. I expect that our players and coaches will get we'll get a copy of, uh, the game soon. Um, I think, um, I think that most of us know the timing of that now, (laughs) uh, which is, which is good. Right. And, um, you know, and I think, I think that, um, I've always believed that Overwatch 2 will be available widely in 2022. Um, I, again, I'm not, I'm not kind of saying that on anything that I could, you know, kind of be embargoed about because I don't know, but I'm just kind of watching, hearing, listening. And my expectation is whether it's the final or whether it's a wide beta or whether it's something in between, I think that people will be able to play Overwatch 2 this year.
0: I mean, for, I'll be honest, it's exciting for us Um, because we've, you've heard us talk about it. We, we like the game, we enjoy it. It's just, we've, it's like this, you know, moving you know finish line that continues to get tugged in front of us and at some point we're just gonna be like well am i still in the race uh, right it sort of gets it uh, becomes difficult i actually wanted to ask you is there any strings you can pull to get rsp included into that content creator like <laughs> hey let's tell you stuff that you can't talk about but make sure you tweet your pictures on the i phone don't
2: know if there's something you comment? guys can tell me that we can get into it i mean they're telling kind of some of these content creator stuff that we don't know <laughs> right so and and we tell you the teams get pissed off about that as well. Like, why are you basically okay. showing stuff to these guys and not showing it to the team? I, I think mean, the reason is, of course, for the teams is they need to share it to everybody at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. And so and so content creators, they don't need to do that. But you know, I'll put in a, a good word. I think look, we we do um, we we do have some sway with the league, and the league is very much aware of our desire to grow the viewership base in Canada. Basically every call we have with them is about that. Okay. And mm-hmm. so, you know, podcasts like, like the ones that you guys collectively run and this one are, are important to that because it is important for other people to be talking about overwatch rather than just us as teams <laughs> and our content. Right. And, yeah. uh, and, and it's important for us, for you guys to be successful and for you guys to grow your, your, your viewership and to have access to things that are meaningful enough for people to want to tune in right um and so you know we can certainly you know we can certainly talk about that Uh, again as you guys know i've been big supporters of what you have been doing for the reasons that i'm saying here i also think that you guys you guys in terms of the way you run your podcast are consistent with our values in terms of the way that we approach it you know we're not loudmouthed uh you know kind of we don't Dismissed. we don't insult, you know, we tend to want to be positive and, and you guys tend to do the same thing. And and look, there's been an awful lot of things uh that have been that could be very negative. Uh and you guys have touched on a lot of things, I would say, uh dealing with the ecosystem in a very sensitive way. Um, and I think I think you've proven that you're trustworthy. Um, and that, you know, you've proven that you basically have the staying power. I mean I, I sometimes worry that you guys are going to shut things down. And I would say you know, don't, okay? It's it's 71 days, I think, uh, as of Tuesday mm-hmm. here before the, the season starts. I think I, I, I don't mind expectations being low because based on what I know, uh, we're not only going to exceed them, we're going to blow past them as a league and hopefully as a team as well. Yeah.
1: There's no problem. Uh, we can have a, like an hour episode discussing the new Reaper skin next week. Well, so.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Which we probably will. <laughs> uh, well, thank you. I and mean, you thank you for those kind of words. I, mean, I, I think back to when you first joined us, you know, just two years ago, we were a Vancouver Titans podcast. And I mean, I'd expressed to our listeners and I've expressed to you privately, it's been an interesting relationship on this side. But the one thing that we've always come back to is that you have supported and embraced us. And not only just us, you know, when Man, Watchpoint, uh, the CAE Sports crew, uh, the High Noon podcast, like these are content creators in this space. And it, it provides us recognition. It's, you know, the intrinsic benefit of knowing that what we do matters, but it does empower us to want to continue to do it. It's, it's a lot easier when you have sort of the, the willing partner than the one who, you know, puts you to use if only when they see fit. So thank you for, for embracing the space, not just RSP, but this space.
2: Well, I appreciate that. And like I said, if we do have an event in Toronto, uh this year you guys are all welcome to be our guests we will we will you know i mean it'd be great to do like a podcast over here uh give you guys access to the players and, and all of that kind of stuff i mean it will be uh, you know like look I've, I've i'm a fan of your podcast i've been listening to it for a long time i i know that it will be quite the thrill for all of us you know after all these times of embargo of, of, of pandemics and everything else that we've done to get everybody together right and with players and staff and and to just basically celebrate maybe the emergence of overwatch overwatch 2 and of the world outside of the pandemic uh together maybe sometime uh in the summer so uh thank you very much for everything that you guys do
0: that would be cool to be live from the canning canada creator lab here in toronto (laughs) um i mean we are obvious on the clock i want to be respectful of your time any any last questions alex jordan
1: no, I think we're good. I'm, uh, it, it's surprising. I had a whole slew of questions and you just went on and answered most of them before I was able to ask them. So
2: <laughs> Keep me talking. You never know what's going to happen or come that's out.
1: true. That's true.
2: <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. Oh, ah, impressive. If I do say so myself.
1: All I can say, gentlemen, wow. It's a big drop, mic drop moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know... Oh,
0: Jordan, sorry. I just, I'm, I'm still in shock.
3: No, I was going to say that was uh, certainly not what I was expecting much more. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I mean, we, we'd sort of talk to you about like, yeah, when we had this opportunity to talk with Adam, you know, here's, here's sort of the information you provide. Like, it's just, wow, this is unbelievable. But you know, it's one thing for us to tell you, it's another thing to listen to the show. And then it's a third thing to actually you know, ex- experience it. And I, I can't speak for other organizations or ownership groups that's the Vancouver Titans but for the sake of transparency when we reach out to Tover to Active or we reach out to Adam he will respond and to me that speaks quite highly of how they approach the business how they approach the scene like the Toronto Defiant fans I think are in for some some pretty cool times this season
3: yeah there's lots of lots of exciting stuff um, I i wow really does sum it up cuz that was i mean for me this is the first time i've been in this situation um you know getting the opportunity to do something like this obviously i was happy to just listen um quite a bit uh but it's because adam is so forthcoming with with just everything that's going on um i personally really do enjoy hearing the sort of more business side of all of it and the inner workings about how a lot of these things work and how these conversations are happening. So. Yeah.
0: And I think as he had pointed out, we have what 70 some odd days left before the season kicks off. And there's, mm-hmm. I mean, he clearly sort of indicated We're going to learn more about things in the, the coming weeks, the coming ones. Um, we didn't learn about overwatch three or overwatch four. I'm Too bad. A little disappointed. Just we learned about
1: overwatch six. Oh, it was off the record. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, we'll have to edit that out.
0: Oh, uh, post production—it just falls to the floor, and all yeah. our listeners miss out. Um, but no, I mean, I, again, I hope you, as a listener, in, enjoy this bonus show. We'll be back next week uh, with our regular show. If you happen to be listening to this on on One Man Watchpoint, you know, please, uh, you know, give Jordan some some major plaudits. He's <laughs> he's carrying the load here.
3: Oh yeah, I I was definitely leading that conversation. <laughs>
0: But uh, no, it was, it was definitely a uh, good fun. And I, you know what? I think we need to get Adam back on um, in a shorter turnaround than two years. Because it's been, you know, really two years since he joined us. It would have been, I think, what, May of 2020 was when we last spoke to him, had him on the show. So it's just when we get others. I think there'll be an opportunity to speak to to KDG. We've got some feelers in to get someone from the Titans to join us. Uh, so far, very, well, let's be honest. No success, but that doesn't necessarily mean outright failure. We're still working on that side. Uh, But we remain the premier podcast to do the Toronto Defiant and the Vancouver Titans. But uh, normally I'd ask for final words of wisdom, but I I didn't come prepared with any. Did, Did you guys come prepared with any words of wisdom?
1: I mean, it's my wife's birthday tomorrow, which means that by the time you hear it, it is her birthday, so I'll just extend my, you know, my loving happy birthday, and uh, that's it. Oh, happy yeah. birthday, Lennon. Yeah, yeah. I- I'll um, I'll also announce as a present that the Overwatch 2 beta is coming out February 30th. So, see, you
0: there. <gasps> I am I am booking February 30th <laughs> off right now.
1: Preload is on the 29th. <laughs>
0: Uh, Well, on behalf of Jordan Etzer, Dr. J, I'm the host of One Man Watchpoint, and obviously our chair here at RSP, Omni at Omni, start myself, Chris at Lightforce, signing off this special bonus episode with those magical words, Gatrase!